Okay, here's what I know about you. You are a big, colossal failure. True of me, too. Well, we're all a bunch of failures. Just face it. You're not perfect. I'm far from perfect. This world we live in is really imperfect. And, and that just means we all experience failure. Really, a heck of a lot of failure. But, but in this culture that we live in, this very sensitive, self-esteem-promoting culture where we give everyone an award for just showing up, doesn't matter what you did or how much effort you put in, you, you get rewarded, you know, for just showing up. And in this culture of ours, heaven forbid that, you know, anyone might give you some honest feedback, that maybe you could have done better, that, that maybe you actually failed at some point. Truth is, we live in a culture that teaches us to deny our failures. Ah, that was nothing, don't worry about it. I mean, this is big in some of our schools, uh, even where we work. Uh, okay. Sports, team sports, competitive team sports like hockey, maybe push against this a little bit, and that's one of the reasons why I think they're healthy. But really, as we look at our culture as a whole, uh, in the process, we are raising up new generations who have never struggled more with self-esteem and are so overwhelmed with anxiety. In our quest to build up self-esteem, we seem to be doing a great job at destroying it, and then anxiety levels are just shooting through the roof. As we look at our Jesus story today, we're going to see the writers of the Bible push back on this part of our culture. The writers of the Bible are going to say to us that the best way to build self-esteem and one of the best ways to strengthen yourself against rising anxiety is to acknowledge and to embrace your failure, to, to actually see failure as your friend. You see, with Jesus at work in our lives through the Holy Spirit, we can embrace failure so that it becomes life-changing. Failure handled correctly is the back door to success. It, it might even be the front door to success. So to see that, we're going to look at a story about the Apostle Peter on the night that Jesus was arrested. Many of you know the story if you're church-raised. Uh, if not, this is going to be new for you, but... What happened that night was two of Jesus' best friends had massive failures. Judas had the failure of betrayal, and, and Peter had the failure of denial. Now, I need to give a, a little credit here to Rick Warren. As uh, he taught on this story, he caught my attention when he said the massive failures of uh, Judas and Peter are really the same sin that they really both denied Christ, that what we're looking at is just different expressions of the same sin. But how they responded to their sin was totally different. Judas rejected the mercy and love of God and later went out and killed himself, took his life. But Peter, he accepted the love and mercy of God and later became a leader of this new movement called the church. I think what we can learn about failure from Peter is huge. So first, I, I want to look at what set Peter up for failure because I think the same thing set you and I up for failure. So I want to look at some things that maybe Peter did wrong that led to his failure. And then I want to look at some things that Peter did right that turned his failures into the successes he achieved in his life. Now I know, in this be nice, don't say anything bad about me culture that none of us like to be called failures. You didn't like it when I did that. And in the same way, none of us like to be called sinners, but the truth is we are. And what is sin? Sin is simply a, a failure to live up to God's perfect standards. 
That's what the Apostle Paul means when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hang on to those words, fall short. The, the word sin in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in was, was taken from an archery term, which means you missed the mark. You, you didn't hit the bullseye. You, your shot was less than perfect. It, your shot fell short. Hey, you know that it's almost the happiest time of year here in Fort McMurray. The big game hunting season is just a week away. I went to sight in my two rifles, a Tika T3 that shoots a 300 Winchester short magnum and a Browning A-bolt that shoots 30 out 6 I'm, I'm pretty happy with uh, where these guns are hitting at 100 yards. I mean, most deer I've taken have been in that 100 to, well, 80 to 200 yard range. But you know, when you're shooting from the bench, uh, hitting the target bang on is not so hard to do. But when I'm in the field uh, shooting from my shoulder without any sort of rest, my groups are not so tight. And I have been known to sin and miss the mark. When I shouldn't have missed the mark, and it sure felt like sin at that moment, right? And, and I think this is a good way of understanding sin and failure. You, you, you missed the mark, you missed the bullseye, you fell short. But hey, you don't overly beat yourself and go into self-condemnation. You, you don't have a pity party. You acknowledge the truth of your failure. You, you embrace your failure and, and you use your failure to get back on target. Does that make sense? You, you make the necessary adjustment to get back on target. And those of you involved in the shooting sports, and there's quite a few of you, you, you kind of get the idea of what it means to, to make the adjustment to, to, to get on target. Now, I don't want to depreciate the uh, negative impact that sin and failure has on our lives and, and how sin and failure can hurt others. What I want to suggest is that we're all gripped by sin and failure, that it's kind of normal, right? Sin is normal. Failure is normal. So we just need to admit it and grow from it and, and then allow our sin and failure to lead us into something that's actually positive. And that's what makes Peter so different than Judas, as we'll see. Our story starts in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. You can follow on the screen or use a Bible app on your phone or a paper Bible, whatever works best for you. Our story follows the Last Supper that Jesus just had with his disciples where he said, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to come back to life, and I'll meet you back in Galilee after that. Just wait for me. Uh, verse 31, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Then Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But, but Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And, and all of the other disciples said the same. You know, all of the other disciples, they're all there, they're nodding their head in agreement. They're all saying the same thing, that they would never, ever do this to Jesus. And, and Jesus is telling them, Hey, mark my word, you're going to deny me tonight. And when they come and take me, you're just going to fall to pieces. You can count on it. Anyways, there's lots of emotion and bravado here. And with Apostle Peter in particular, three times Peter makes a point loudly that he would never deny Jesus. So here's where Peter and the other disciples are setting themselves up for failure. They are just overestimating their strength. And we all do this, at least a lot of us do this. We think we're stronger than we are. 
You know, a lot of businesses fail from overestimating their strengths. Uh, uh, a lot of battles are lost because armies overestimate their strength. Uh, a lot of people, students, flunk out at school because they overestimated their strength. A lot of spouses fall into affairs because they overestimated their strengths. I, I can handle it. This is just a little worksite flirt. There's nothing going to happen from it. This is why the Apostle Paul warns us as he writes to the Corinthians, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. All Paul is saying is that we need to get a grip and, and understand that we might not be quite as strong as we think we are. Don't be naive. Don't be foolishly self-confident. Not one of us is exempt. You know, personally, and I hope I'm allowed to say this, but given the right situation, I'm capable of any sin, any failure. So are you. Given the right situation, you are more than capable of any sin. The writers of the Bible continue to tell us that we have deceitful hearts, that that just means that we need to stop and have an honest look at ourselves and stop kidding ourselves. A, a ton of bravado won't keep you from uh, failing. It will only set you up for a fall. And, and, you know, today, our culture really encourages a lot of false bravado. There, there's a place for it, but there's a place for it with honesty. Self-confidence has to be uh, based on some truth being spoken into the situation. Like uh, when, when I took this course with Rob Furlong, he's a long-distance shooter, had Canada's large, longest confirmed kill, uh, not Canada, the world's largest confirmed kill back in 2002. He shot just over two kilometers. Uh, that, that has been overtaken in 2017 by another Canadian who did three and a half kilometers. It's, it's really quite amazing. Anyways, I took a course with him in long-distance shooting, and I wasn't very confident about shooting very much further than, than 200 yards. And he took a look at me and, and just spoke words of encouragement. He said, you're going to be 600 yards at the end of the day. But there was basis of truth. He was able to analyze and look and say, hey, I see where you're at, and I know I can move you from here to here confidence based on at least a little bit of truth. I wasn't there, but he spoke it into me because there was a basis to do that, if you understand what I'm saying. Anyways, let's keep going and look at this story. Another common issue comes to the surface that sets us up for failure. Last, let's fast forward to what happens after Jesus is arrested, just like, by the way, he said would happen. Uh, I mean, it's shocking, it's devastating. But a Jewish mob sent under the authority of the chief priests and elders come with swords and clubs and they lead Jesus away to the courtyard of the Jewish high priest for his first trial. It's an illegal trial, but it is what it is. And, and here's how Peter responds as Jesus is led away. Peter follows Jesus at a distance, you know, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were of Jesus of Galilee, she said, but, but he denied it before them all. I, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, Peter is kind of stealthily, secretly sneaking around, keeping an eye on Jesus, and he's hanging out at the courtyard right by where the trial is taking place, hoping to find out what's happening. And, and when confronted, he denies knowing Jesus in front of everyone who's there. He's kind of saying, girl, don't blow my cover. But ouch, Right? That's failure, right? I mean, think about it. Peter has just spent three and a half years with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
He's lived with them, done life with them for three and a half years. He's been on this three and a half year road trip with Jesus. Like they're tight, right? But at the first real bump in the road when the crisis hits hard, and yes, this is a huge crisis, I get that, but, but still, Peter's first knee-jack response is to deny Jesus. He, he's scared of what these other people are going to think or maybe even do to him. But before you're quick to condemn Peter for being such a wuss, how many times have you sidestepped admitting that you are a Christian, that you go to Fort City, that, you know, maybe at work or at the hockey rink or somewhere else, you just said nothing because you were worried what other people would think or how they would respond to you. No one needs to know. Let, let's just be upfront and admit that this happens all the time. I'm not talking about turning you into some sort of jerk for Jesus. All I'm talking about is stepping up to the plate when the door opens and you simply gently admit that you follow Jesus, that you go to church, that you go to Fort City. Hey, I get it. All of us want to be accepted. None of us want to be rejected. So many of us wrestle with the fear of disapproval, and, and that fear, in the end, sets us up for failure. By the way, so often your fear and, and my fear of disapproval is rooted in some sort of wound that you've experienced in the past. A hidden wound is often what lies behind a fear of disapproval uh, from other people. And, and there's maybe just something that triggers that fear in your mind. Maybe it was a rejection in the past. Uh, maybe it was an unmet need growing up. Uh, maybe it was some hurt. Maybe it was some trauma that happened in your life and, and it produced this hidden soul pain. This soul pain is related to your identity. If you don't know who you really are, you will feel manipulated by the disapproval of others. You, you will find yourself you know, backing down when people ask if you're a Christian. You won't stand up for what you believe and you won't do the right thing because you just don't know who you are. You just haven't figured out yet what it means to be a child of the King, a child of our Heavenly Father who is crazy in love with you, who is totally for you. Solomon, writing in the book of Proverbs, puts it this way. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And yeah, you've already been snared if you're more worried about what other people think uh, than doing the right thing or saying the right thing. Like Peter, it just sets you up for failure. Okay, let's move a bit further into the story and pick up one more thing that sets, him, sets us up for failure. Then Peter went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied them again with an oath. I don't know the man. And a little while, those who were standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you way. And then he began to call down. He curses them and he swears at them. I, I don't know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. I mean, Peter's being real human here. And, and I don't mean to downplay rough language, but Peter lets it rip. He's, he's under pressure. He's feeling boxed in. And he uses some rough language, some strong words to try and power his way out of the situation. Well, we're talking a guy who just spent three and a half years with Jesus and will soon be the head of the church. This guy is quite capable of letting a few less than savory words burst through his mouth. My grandfather used to lecture me about my tongue. I mean, he was a railroad worker working for CN in Halifax. Uh, he heard it all, but man, I never heard it from him. Never. And when I would let it fly, he would firmly but gently say, hey, you are smarter than that. 
You know how to use proper English. Act as smart as you are. He managed in a way that my parents never succeeded in, in getting me to think twice before I let stuff fly. By the way, I'm not saying I never let anything fly, just that my grandfather played a huge role in getting me to think twice before I let it fly, which is not very often. But here's the problem with Peter. He didn't think twice before he let it rip. Peter's problem, what I would see as the third issue that set him up for failure was he would speak without thinking. You know what I mean? You and I are guilty too. We, we put our mouth in motion before we put our mind in gear. We speak impulsively, rashly, thoughtlessly. We don't pause to ponder the damage of what we're about to say and what it's going to do in other people's lives or even our own lives. I mean, this is so very common, right? And there's a reason why it goes this way. Most of us don't think rashly, we think emotionally. Most of the time, you are not thinking about what you are talking about. You are thinking, you're, you're not taking the time to think about the unintended consequences of what you're about to say. So often, I'll say, oops, sorry, I had no idea. I, I didn't mean to uh, create any hurt there, but the truth is, I did hurt. I, I didn't mean to, but I wasn't thinking. I wasn't paying attention. I, I was uh, reacting emotionally and most of us do the same. So many of us just say what we feel. And today, what does our culture teach? Just say whatever you feel. Be true to yourself. That's a mark of authenticity and courage and maturity. What? I think that's just craziness. I don't know how we got there. This is what kids do, right? They, they have no filter and they just say what they feel. It's craziness to say that mature adults should act just like kids with no filters. Okay. Let's look a little more at Peter. He's clearly nervous. He's uptight. He's fearful. And he's in the middle of maybe the biggest crisis of his life. Jesus has just been arrested. He's back behind this wall going through an illegal trial and he's being tortured. Peter's on the other side of the wall wondering what's uh, going on. And then this stranger comes and goes and says to him, Hey, you were with that guy, weren't you? And Peter responds emotionally without thinking, No, I'm not. And he powers down on the person with some pretty strong words. He's afraid, right? I notice sometimes when people get gripped by fear, they, they, uh, they swear more, they talk louder, they power with words. Right? You're just not thinking rationally. You're not thinking this through logically. You're gripped by emotion and you end up saying and doing things that you later regret, like big time and... Peter certainly did. And the Apostle James, he's, he's the half-brother of Jesus. He talks about how much damage your tongues can do when we just let it fly without thinking. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great boast is set, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I, I bet when Peter heard James preach that, he kind of went, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, right. What about you and me? How often have our tongues set a little fire or maybe a big fire out there? So these are the kinds of things that set us up for failure, for a big fall. These are the things that Peter uh, set up, 
that created his massive failure he just went through. He thought that he was stronger than he was. He, he was gripped by a need to be liked and have the approval of others. And he would just put his mouth in gear before he engaged his mind. But this is a good news story, okay? Because after he failed, Peter did a few things right that turned it all around for the better. These are the things that you and I need to do when we fail. Whether it's a financial failure, a, a job loss, you got fired, a marriage failure, a, a, a relational mess up, or any other kind of failure in your life, what do you do? Well, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, seeking the Holy Spirit to empower you, there are some things that you can do that are just huge in, to turning failure into success. The first thing that I see Peter doing is he simply embraces his failure and he grieves over it. He didn't minimize the failure. He didn't pretend that it didn't happen. No. You feel the pain. You, you don't brush it off. You, you don't downplay it. You, you don't rush to feel better. You see this with Peter. When Peter heard the rooster crow, Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside. And he wept bitterly. Peter is devastated by what he's just done. He has betrayed his best friend, the one he knows is the divine son of God, the, the one that he has washed, heal and forgive and extend mercy to whoever would receive it. But Peter, and this is awesome, I love the fact that he owns up to his failure. He, he doesn't try to justify what he did. He doesn't say, oh, they might have killed me. No. He's broken by what he did. He's, he's full of regret. And friends, this is good. This kind of grief is a good thing. It's the key to healing, to, to moving on, uh, to, to breaking free from your failure. Let me say this clearly. When you blow it, when you fail, it is really okay to feel bad. Grief is the way that we get through transitions and losses in life. And hey, the greater the failure, the more time it's going to take. The greater the loss, the more time it's going to take. You have to let God work in your heart. You, you cannot force healing. You, you cannot rush feelings. Recovery is ultimately an act of God's mercy. Now most of you know who hang out here that I really like King David in the Old Testament. He messed up really big, that's why I like him. But he was also a man after God's own heart. How did he do both? He wrote down some of his prayers uh, to God in response to his failure. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. David is saying is that God is looking for humility, repentance. You're right, God. I blew it. God, I'm so sorry. And when you do that, God goes, there's a person who's going to recover. I grieve my failure. That is just huge. But then what you see next, what he does next is so practical. Fast forward from Thursday night to Sunday morning, Easter morning. Jesus is now dead and buried, but maybe not. We're told that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had gone to the tomb of Jesus and there was an angel there that said, he's not here. He's gone. Go tell the disciples and this is what... This is, this is what I want you to see here at this passage. Mary Magdalene went and she found the disciples together. Hang on to that, grieving and weeping. 
What is Peter doing? What are all the disciples doing? Peter is getting support from his small group, a small band of fellow believers. After his biggest failure, he hasn't run from community. He has run to community. You see, when you go through a major failure in life, you must, and I just want to say this again, you must resist the urge to isolate yourself. You, you must resist the urge to insulate yourself. When you get laid off from work, you don't want anybody to know about it. When you have a bankruptcy, you don't want anybody to know about it. When you have a failure, you want to keep it secret, and that is the worst thing that you can do. Now, I'm not saying you tell everybody, okay? But you need to tell a few people who love you, who are going to pray for you, who will support you. You know, when you share a problem in your life, its weight gets cut in half. Really, it does. You were never meant to go through life alone. We're better. We're stronger together. That's the power of a healthy small group or a community group. Where does Peter go after his failure? To that small group that Jesus put together. And what happened in that small group setting was so awesome. Let's keep going. It's now Sunday evening. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, small group time, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After uh, he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Okay, I've been part of a lot of small groups uh, in my life, like a lot, and I'll admit one thing. Jesus has never turned up physically in any of the small groups that I've been a part of. But let me tell you this. I have seen Jesus turn up in small groups and touch people's lives, bring healing. It's powerful. You know that's what Jesus promised, eh? He said, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. This is the promise of Jesus. If we truly look for him in our small groups, our community groups, Jesus will presence himself in our groups. His spirit is there. His love is there. His mercy is there. Friends, you need to be part of a healthy small group or community group. You'll be hearing lots about the groups that we have at Fort City come September. You can check them out on our webpage, fortcitychurch.ca. But you need to be part of a small group and commit to attending it as regularly as you possibly can because when you have a failure and it throws you into a crisis, you're not going to be thinking straight at that point. And the bigger the failure, the bigger the loss in your life, the more you don't think straight. You, you need other people around you that you trust and they can just calm you down, straighten you out. They're there to support you, to be with you. They're there to pray with you, inviting Jesus to come be with you. This is so important. Peter, after his failure, had a place to go. He grieved. He, he let his small group support him. And then he did what all of us need to do when we fail. He just cast himself on God's mercy. We know this, we know Peter did this because he wrote about it in the two books of his in the Bible, First and Second Peter, and right after the start of writing this book or this letter, uh, uh, Peter says, says this, this is uppermost in his mind, he goes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter had this massive failure in his life, but, but he's not going around in despair. He's not wallowing in condemnation. He's, he's not swallowed up with shame. He's, he's not walking around with regret. No, he's saying, 
I'm walking around with hope. My life is filled with hope. In spite of my failure, I have a future. I have a hope. Why? Because of the mercy of God. In the same letter, Peter writes, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Peter is speaking to you and me about something he did when he failed. He just cast all of his anxiety, he cast himself on the mercy of God, he gave his failure over to God, and God transformed his failure into a future full of purpose and impact. Do you know that God actually wants to use your failures for his purposes, for good? Think of it this way. What failure have you had that God can use? If you've had a failed business, you could, you should be helping others, uh, you know, businessman, businesswoman, because you know what it's like. If you've had a bankruptcy, you should help those who are going through or are about to go through bankruptcy. If you've had a failed marriage, you should be helping people save their marriages. If you had an addiction, you should be helping people with that addiction. Don't waste your failure. Let God use your failure to help others. Which kind of leads me to the question that I want to kind of leave us with. It's the key question of this message. So you, are you going, how are you going to respond to your failure? Are you going to respond like Judas? Or are you going to respond like Peter? Because really, that's your choice. Judas, he had a breakdown. But really, Peter had a breakthrough. Judas gave up. Peter looked up to God. Judas rejected the mercy of God. Peter accepted the mercy of God. Judas lived in condemnation. Peter lived in celebration of the goodness of God. Judas just ended up taking his life. Peter ended up living life to the full, living life on purpose. It's your choice. How you respond to failure is your choice. And we have a God, if you choose, will come and empower you. And just after 50 days, after Peter's biggest failure, God chose him, Peter, the guy who screwed up big time, who denied Jesus in his deepest hour of pain. He chose Peter to be the guy who would preach on the day of Pentecost, the first day of the Christian church, and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus that day and were baptized. I mean, how awesome is that just 50 days after that colossal failure? That, friends, is the mercy of our God. That is how God will work with your failure if you let him. You do not have to be defined by your failure. You can be defined <coughs> excuse me, by the mercy and transforming love of God. Who is, yeah, come on, our God, he's crazy in love with us. And he wants to use your failure for his glory. So you don't have to stay stuck in your sin and your failure. You can take it to Jesus and just let him transform it for his purposes so that you can live life to the full. So with all that, we're just going to pray and we're going to ask Jesus to take our failures and transform them into an awesome future. And as I pray, what I'd like to ask you to do is ask you just to take the words that I pray and kind of pray them with me. You just lay your mess, your failure, even your sin before God and just experience what it means to have your slate wiped clean and your life transformed. So would you bow with me for a time of prayer? God, I've had a lot of failures in my life like Peter. I've overestimated my strengths. I, I, I've said I'd never do that, and I did. I feared the disapproval of other people, and I've been quiet and lacked courage when I should have spoken up for you. 
And certainly, I've spoken without thinking, letting my tongue get me into trouble. I'm coming to you today, Jesus, with my failure, saying, Lord, my heart is broken. I am so sorry. I have a repentant spirit. Forgive me. And I'm sorry that so often I've isolated myself and tried to handle my pain all on my own. Help me to connect with a small group who can love and support and pray with me. And Lord, I just, I just cast myself in your mercy. I cast all my anxiety on you. I'm dropping my insecurity. I'm dropping my fears, the regrets, the shame. Take my failures. And by work of your Holy Spirit, supernaturally transform them. Transform me into a person who overcomes and makes a difference for you. A, a person who is empowered day by day by day by your life-giving love. Now maybe all this following Jesus is a bit new to you, but you sense maybe this is something you want to do. You want to start following him. You, you want to say that you're a Jesus follower, a Christian. If you're sensing a, a nudge to be to do that, to follow Jesus or to renew following with Jesus, pray this prayer with me as well. Just take these words and pray them yourselves. Dear Jesus, today I want to start following you or start following you again. I want to become a Jesus follower, a Christian. I, I, I ask you to forgive my failures, my sin. I invite you to come into my life with your Holy Spirit and make me a new changed person. I will take time to connect with you through prayer and reading or listening to your word through the week. I will commit to being an active part of your church. I'll, I'll even declare my decision to follow you through baptism. Today I start or I start again my journey with you. Take my life and use it powerfully to have a positive impact on others. Take my failures and turn them into success for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.